You're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome to Wise Guys. These guys know sports. Here live on the Worldwide Sports Network. Everybody remember to go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore weights. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. Be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys Know Sports. Here with your boy Trey Larkins on the Wise Guys Sports Show. Everybody go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at Wise Guys underscore weights. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. Be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys Know Sports. We got an action jam-packed show. We're going to recap NFL Week 8. We're also going to talk about some trades that went down today in the NFL. The trading deadline came and it has gone away. The deadline was at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So all the teams that are contenders, they have made their trades so they can position themselves to go on a run. Teams not named the Green Bay Packers, of course. Also, later on the show, I have a special guest appearance from Nuts and Bolts Sports Podcast, Christina Ratliff. She's going to join me on Wise Guys tonight. We're going to talk about Chicago sports. We're going to talk about her Chicago Bulls, her expectations for the Chicago Bears the rest of the season. And does she feel like Justin Fields? Is a franchise quarterback. So Chris, Christiana Ratliff will be joining the show tonight. And also tonight, don't forget, we got the World Series tonight. It is in Philadelphia. Game three between the Houston Astros and the Philadelphia Phillies. The series is tied at one game apiece. So a pivotal game three tonight in the city of brotherly love. So it's a big time matchup tonight between the Astros and Philadelphia Phillies. We know in most sports, whether it's the NBA, NHL, or MLB, the winner of game three, majority of the time, goes on to win that specific series. So, big game tonight in Major League Baseball in the World Series tonight. And also, tonight, before I start the show, man, I got to start off on a sad note. I want to give my condolences and prayers to the rapper Takeoff. His life was tragically taken last night. So I want to send my prayers and condolences to his family. That's a terrible, terrible, tragic situation going on with Takeoff in, in, in Quavo. Man, it's, it's just bad. It's terrible, man. Another young black brother lost to gun violence. Nevertheless, we got an action jam-packed show, and it's time to get into my NFL Week 8 recap. So let's start off in Buffalo as the Buffalo Bills beat the Green Bay Packers 27-17. to 17. The loss drops the Packers to 3-5 and five on the season. It is the Packers' fourth consecutive loss. So they have been struggling for the last few weeks. For the Packers, Aaron Rodgers, he went 19-30. of 30. He threw for 203 passing yards. Two touchdowns, one interception. For the Bills, Josh Allen, he went 13 of 25. He had 218 passing yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions in the second half. Stephon Diggs had a great performance. He had six receptions, 108 receiving yards, one touchdown for the Buffalo Bills. Looking at this game, I watched this game, and coming into this game, I had very, very little expectations for the Green Bay Packers to win this game. 
I had no high hopes for the Packers being able to win this game, considering how bad the Packers have looked the last three weeks. And in the first half, I thought the Bills, they came out and they played with the necessary energy that you need when you're trying to put away a football team that's been struggling the way the Green Bay Packers have been struggling the last four weeks. I thought Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills, they jumped out to a 24-7 to lead at the half. And looking at how they did at the beginning of the game, the Buffalo Bills, on their first six drives, the Bills, they scored on five of their first six drives of the game. And I thought they set the tone for the football game overall. Offensively in the first half, Josh Allen, he was playing at a high level and he was proving why he is universally recognized as a top five quarterback in the NFL. And I thought his performance in this game in the second half wasn't great, but in the first half, he was dominant. And the Buffalo Bills offensively, they moved the ball up and down the field. And the Packers defense had no answers for the Buffalo Bills. And we know the Buffalo Bills, they got Josh Allen at quarterback, at receiver. You got Stephon Diggs, a top 10 receiver in the NFL. You got Gabe Davis, one of the best second receivers in the NFL. You also got Dawson Knox. You got Singletary in the backfield. I thought offensively, the Buffalo Bills set the tone. And we know now that even fresh off a of bye week, it doesn't take much for this Bills offense to get into a rhythm and flow at a high level. And one of the things that I was impressed with the most was the Bills' ability to run the football. In this game, the Buffalo Bills had 153 rushing yards for the game. Singletary, he had 14 carries for 67 rushing yards. Josh Allen had six carries for 49 rushing yards. And James Cook, the younger brother of Dalvin Cook, he had five carries for 35 rushing yards. So that's one of the ways for the Bills to be an even more explosive offense. Think about the passing attack with Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs and Dawson Knox. They are explosive in the passing game. Imagine if the Buffalo Bills can establish a rushing attack with Singletary, with Cook. This Bills offense will be unstoppable. So I thought it was impressive the way they ran the football and ran straight at that Packers defense. And that Packers defense has underachieved in the first eight games of the season. I'm going to get to them here in a bit. But I thought the Buffalo Bills, they set the tone offensively and their ability to run the football, it opened up the passing game for Josh Allen and the Bills offense in the first half. I thought the first half was dominated by the Buffalo Bills. And a Packers team, they're coming into the game. They've lost three consecutive games to the Giants, Jets, and Commanders. You're three and four on the season. You would think Matt LaFleur would have the Green Bay Packers ready to meet the energy and the intensity that the Buffalo Bills 
are going to bring to this game. And that just did not happen in the first half for the Green Bay Packers. Defensively, they had no answers for the Buffalo Bills in the first half. And here we are again talking about a Joe Barry-led defense that cannot stop the run. The Packers defensively, they have the worst defense at being able to stop the run. They can't stop the run to save their lives whatsoever. You can run on the Packers at will. And it's frustrating because the Packers personnel is a team that has players up front in Kenny Clark, in Dean Lowry, in Preston Smith, in Quay Walker, in Devontae Wyatt. You would think the Packers defensively would be better at stopping the run, but that's not been the case so far this season. They are the worst team in the NFL at stopping the run. And so for the Buffalo Bills, they were able to establish the running game, something that in the first six games of the season, because they had a bye week in week seven, for the first six weeks of the season, they weren't a top 10 rushing attack in the NFL. Because of the Packers' inability to stop the run, the Buffalo Bills, they realized we could run on the Packers and throw on the Packers. So I was I, I felt like in the first half, the Bills offensively completely dominated the Packers defensively. Now let's switch gears to the Packers offense for the game. The Packers, they had 21 first downs, 208 rushing yards, 190 passing yards. And here we are again talking about the Packers and their struggles offensively. Let me be very, very clear. The Packers skill position players are garbage. I'm going to say it one more time. The Packers skill position players are garbage. Allen Lazard is the Packers number one receiver. He didn't even suit up in this game. So it was really bad for the Packers. But if Allen Lazard is your number one at receiver, you know you have a problem at your skill positions. That's where the Packers are struggling right now. And it showed me in the second half that Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers, they know that in order for them to compete in games, they have to run the football with Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. The Packers were down 17 points in the second half. They were still running the football with Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon because they don't believe in their skill position players. Now, in this game, Romeo Dobbs, he had four receptions, 62 receiving yards. He did have an amazing touchdown catch in the first half. A great throw from Aaron Rodgers that gave Romeo Dobbs a chance to make a play on the football, and Dobbs made a play on the football and caught his touchdown pass in this game. But Tunyon had five receptions for 35 receiving yards. Aaron Jones had four receptions for 14 yards. Samir Toure, he had one reception for 37 receiving yards. That was the touchdown catch that he caught in the second half. But look at the Packers in the second half in this game. It shows you how committed they were to running the football. This is during the Packers' four-game losing streak. This is the Packers' rush offense. In week five against the Giants, 
They had 94 rushing yards. They averaged 4.7 yards per carry. Against the Jets in week six, they had 60 rushing yards. They averaged three yards per carry. In week seven against the Commanders, they had 38 rushing yards. They averaged 3.2 yards per carry. Last night against the Buffalo Bills, the Packers had 208 yards rushing, and they averaged 6.7 yards per carry. So the Packers were committed to running the football despite them being down on the scoreboard. When have you ever saw the Packers losing in a football game by double digits and running the football? I've never seen it happen. I have never seen that happen before. And it happened Sunday night in Buffalo. So I think in order for the Packers to be a contender, they have to run the football with Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. The Packers average 18 points per game. That's ranked 26th in the NFL. And you look at their statistical numbers. Their pass yards per game, they average 217 pass yards per game. That's ranked 22nd in the NFL. Total QBR is 38. That's ranked 25th in the NFL. Yards per reception is 10.0. That's ranked 27th in the NFL. Their drop percentage is 5.5. That's ranked 27th in the NFL. And they have 15 drops by receivers this season. That's tied for fourth in the NFL. So the Packers have no skill position players whatsoever. I don't understand why the hell they didn't trade for receiver earlier this afternoon. Brandon Cooks was available. Ace Claypool was available. DJ Moore was available. I don't understand why Brian Gutekus, the general manager for the Packers, and Russ Ball, why they didn't trade for a receiver. I'm not saying that a receiver would solve all the Packers' issues. I am of the belief that Aaron Rodgers is still an elite quarterback. If Aaron Rodgers had a reliable number one receiver like a DJ Moore, like a Jerry Judy, like a Chase Claypool, like a Brandon Cooks, I believe Aaron Rodgers is still an elite quarterback. He is still a top five quarterback in the NFL. Please stop saying that Aaron Rodgers needs to hang him up with Tom Brady. Aaron Rodgers can play minimal three more seasons if he had a reliable number one target at receiver. This is a man fresh off an MVP season where he had 37 touchdowns, four interceptions, over 4,000 passing yards, completing over 65% of his passes last year. This man can still play quarterback in the NFL. And then in the game, remember, in this same game, in the second half, when the Packers scored their touchdown in the fourth quarter, it was in the fourth quarter, the touchdown pass that Aaron Rodgers threw to Toure, Aaron Rodgers, the zip that he had on that touchdown throw, you telling me Aaron Rodgers can't still play at an elite level? Did y'all see that touchdown pass in the fourth quarter? Aaron Rodgers can still make the necessary throws to be an elite quarterback. Notice I said elite, not a game manager, not a good quarterback, 
uh, elite quarterback. Aaron Rodgers can still make all the necessary throws. You saw it in this matchup in the fourth quarter on that touchdown pass. So, again, the recipe for the, set, the, for the Packers to win games is to run the football with Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. When, when Aaron Jones has over 14 touches in a game, the Packers' record is impressive. So he is the best player on their offense. They got to give him the football. One thing about the Bills, I'll say this about the Bills, because in the second half, they weren't impressive. This is the Bills last night. Josh Allen for the Bills. In the first half, Josh Allen completed 73% of his passes. His yards per pass attempt was 11.7 yards. His touchdown to interception ratio was 2-0. to zero. His passer rating was 151. That was in the first half for Josh Allen. In the second half, Josh Allen completion percentage was 36%. His yards per pass attempt was 6.4. His touchdown to interception, no touchdowns, two interceptions. His passer rating went from 151 in the first half to 19 in the second half. So in the second half, Josh Allen didn't play well. It's just a Packers inability to score points. And that's what helped the Bills win this game. Now, don't forget, there was a key play on a Robert Tunyon touchdown catch that there was uh, there was offensive pass interference call. It was a terrible call, in my opinion. I thought Robert Tunyon got open, and it was a complete no call, and they called an offensive pass interference on Tunyon. That is a four-point swing because the Packers, they lost 27-17. to On one of their last drives, if that was a touchdown that was counted, it would have been 27-21, and the Packers would have had a chance to score a go-ahead touchdown and win the game. I didn't like that call by the refs calling offensive pass interference on Robert Tunney. But, again, I thought the Bills in the second half, they got bailed out by the Packers' inability to score points. If they were playing any other team in the NFL that is considered an elite team, like the Chiefs, like the 49ers, like the Philadelphia Eagles, I believe the Buffalo Bills could have possibly lost this game in the second half. They could have lost this game. That's something to keep your eye on. In the second half, the Packers outscored the Bills 10-3. to So they have a high-powered offense. They score a lot of points. But sometimes Josh Allen gets careless with the football, and we saw that with the two interceptions in the second half. Jair Alexander made a hell of a play on one of those interceptions by Josh Allen. And then Rasul Douglas picked him off as well. And by the way, I love the trash talk between Stefan Diggs and Jair Alexander. And as a Packers fan, despite the Packers losing games, I love the fact that Jair Alexander is still playing with a chip on his shoulder and trash-talking opponents. I love it. I love it, Jair. Show some heart. Show some energy. Packers been terrible the last four weeks. Your boy Rodgers should have been begging Adams to stay in Green Bay. Jones Dillon is really the only weapons they have on offense. They should have been active before the trading deadline trying to get at least a receiver. Facts, Othello Jenkins. I 1,000% agree. Brandon Cooks was available. DJ Moore was available. Jerry Judy was available. Chase Claypool was available. 
We've been talking about the Packers needing a receiver the last four or five weeks. And all of a sudden, the Chicago Bears, they come in and trade for Chase Claypool, not the Green Bay Packers, a team that says they want to compete. Don't tell me you want to win. Show me you want to win. We saw a lot of teams today that are contenders that were active at the trading deadline. The Miami Dolphins were active. The Minnesota Vikings were active. It was a lot of teams today that are contenders that were active at the trading deadline. Not the Green Bay Packers. You're telling me and you're telling fans that you want to win football games. Again, and I got this from Mark Jackson. Don't tell me you want to win. Show me you want to win. Couldn't be more true about the Green Bay Packers right now. Because if I didn't know any better as a fan, I would feel like you're lying to me and you're just trying to get me to buy tickets to come and watch the Packers play. What the hell was the point in paying Aaron Rodgers $50 million a season over the next three years? We might as well had let Aaron Rodgers walk or we might as well allow him to retire. What are we doing? Why would you bring Aaron Rodgers back and not put the necessary skill position players in place for him to be successful? Somebody help me. Help me out. I need answers. I got so many like questions, but not enough answers. I need some, I need some answers to these questions that I have. I want to bring on a Packers reporter at some point who can maybe tell me what the hell is going on in Green Bay with that front office. Brian Gutekus, Russ Ball, Mark Murphy, the president, he doesn't deserve to be absolved either. They have been terrible at managing this football team. They let Devontae Adams walk out the door. I'm sorry. I'm not trading Devontae Adams away. I'm not doing it. I'm just not going to do it. But nevertheless, I ain't going to get too worked up tonight. I got other teams that are contenders to talk about in the NFL. But everybody go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, WiseGuys. Make sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys No Sports. Coming out the break, I'm going to talk about the 49ers win over the Rams on Sunday in L.A. I'll be right back. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back to Wise Guys. These guys know sports here live on the Worldwide Sports Network. Remember, go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. Be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys Know Sports. It is Tuesday, November the 1st, and we have some baseball action as the Astros are in Philly to take on the Philadelphia Phillies. Game three of the World Series. First pitch is going to be pitched in a little over six minutes, 8.03 time for the pitch in Philadelphia. So Astros, Phillies in the World Series going at it. Interesting to see which one of those teams win the pennant. Let's transition back to the NFL as the San Francisco 49ers. They beat the LA Rams 31 to 14. They improved to four and four on the season for the 49ers. Christian McCaffrey, he became the first player since 2005 to run, pass, and throw a touchdown in the same game. Jimmy Garoppolo had a great performance as well for the 49ers. He went 21 of 25 
He threw for 235 passing yards, two touchdowns for the Rams. Matthew Stafford, he had a very pedestrian performance. He went 22 of 33. He threw for 187 passing yards, one touchdown. So my initial reaction to the 49ers beating the Rams is Kyle Shanahan owns Sean McVay. In this matchup, the 49ers prove that they are far ahead of the L.A. Rams. Remember, coming into this game, the 49ers, they didn't have Debo Samuel, their best perimeter player, and Jimmy Garoppolo had his best performance of the season without his best receiver. Garoppolo threw for over 200 passing yards. He completed 84% of his passes, only had four incompletions the entire afternoon. And the 49ers, they had 257 passing yards for the game. That 49ers offense completely dominated that Rams defense. This is a Rams defense that has Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey. But I don't believe Jalen Ramsey is still the player that he was in his prime. I think Jalen Ramsey's best days are behind him. I don't think he's in his prime anymore. I still think Aaron Donald is one of the best defensive players we have in the NFL. But that 49ers offensive line, the way they are able to move players around and create running lanes for their running backs, it's amazing. It's amazing. Their offensive line, they got Jake Brendale up front. They got Aaron Banks. They got Trent Williams back in the mix. They got Spencer Buford, Mike McGlinchey. So that 49ers offensive line, is one of the best offensive lines in the NFL. And I believe the acquisition of Christian McCaffrey and what Kyle Shanahan is going to be able to do with Christian McCaffrey in that offense, it's going to be hard for opposing teams to stop it. Seriously. Because McCaffrey, not only is McCaffrey an elite running back, McCaffrey is a receiver who you can line up on the outside and he can make plays for your offense. McCaffrey can line up like a receiver, and make plays for your offense. He's a nightmare for opposing defensive coordinators because they have no one who can guard Christian McCaffrey in open space. In this game, Christian McCaffrey was the best player on the field. He had 18 carries, 94 rushing yards, one rushing touchdown. The man even threw for a touchdown pass in this game. And he had eight receptions. 55 receiving yards, one receiving touchdown. Christian McCaffrey was the best player on the field. And Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch, he's the general manager for the 49ers, they look like they had the steal of the season going and getting Christian McCaffrey. Christian McCaffrey is going to be key for the 49ers as they go on their Super Bowl run. There are other running backs in their offense that they had in previous years, like Raheem Mozart and Jeff Wilson. They were serviceable. But Christian McCaffrey, if he can stay healthy, Christian McCaffrey can be an X factor for the 49ers to go on a Super Bowl run. He's a security blanket for Jimmy Garoppolo when he gets in trouble in the pocket. He can dump the football off to McCaffrey, and McCaffrey can make plays in the open field and make guys miss. What a steal by John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan going and getting Christian McCaffrey. I said from the beginning, when they made this trade, I said if McCaffrey stays healthy, 
I look at the 49ers as being the favorites in the NFC. I know everyone's talking about the Philadelphia Eagles, but right now, if it was a playoff game played in Philly at Lincoln Financial Field, 49ers versus the Eagles, I'm taking the 49ers. 49ers, they have the experience, they have the head coach, and they have elite playmakers who can get them to a Super Bowl. So if the 49ers played the Eagles today in a critical playoff game, I'm taking the 49ers. That's how great I believe this 49ers team is. I hate the 49ers as a Packers fan, but I have to be honest about what I'm seeing from the 49ers and how they can go on a run. 49ers definitely the team to beat in the NFC. Facts. I think they're the team to beat in the NFC. One leg. That's my, my guy. My brother, man. Shout out to one leg, man. Thanks for the support, bro. But, yeah, the 49ers definitely the team to beat in the NFC. They got the experience. They got the quarterback. They got the perimeter players. In Debo Samuel, in Christian McCaffrey, in Brandon Ayuk. They got George Kittle at tight end. George Kittle is still a top three tight end in the NFL. The only question about the 49ers is whether or not Jimmy G is going to mess it up. That's the only question about the 49ers. And I don't believe Jimmy G is a franchise quarterback. I've, I've been consistent with my opinion on Jimmy Garoppolo. There are people who are 49ers fans who talk about Jimmy G and how, oh, Jimmy G's a franchise quarterback. Jimmy G has a great winning percentage as a quarterback. I don't get caught up in that because when the lights are at its brightest, Jimmy G underperforms. Look at Jimmy G in six career playoff starts. His pass, passing yards per game is 160. His touchdown to interception ratio is 4 to 6. His passer rating is 74.1. And in the fourth quarter of all these playoff games, Jimmy Garoppolo has zero touchdowns, three interceptions, 28.0 quarterback rating. I don't believe in Jimmy Garoppolo, but the 49ers are so good to where Jimmy Garoppolo could manage the game and they could possibly get to a Super Bowl even without Jimmy Garoppolo having to outperform the opposing team's quarterback. Remember back in the 2020, it might have been the 2021, it might have been 2019, 2019, 2019 NFC Championship, Packers at 49ers. In that playoff game, Jimmy Garoppolo only had eight pass attempts, eight pass attempts, and the 49ers blew out the Packers. So the 49ers, they could overcome Jimmy Garoppolo's deficiencies if their defense shows up to play, and they got one of the top defenses in the NFL. They're led by defensive coordinator D'Amico Ryans. Defensively, they got Nick Bosa up front. They got Arik Armstead. At linebacker, they got Fred Warner. In their secondary, they got Tredavious Ward, Jimmy Ward. So this 49ers team is loaded. They are loaded, man. They are in a prime position to go on a run in the NFC. The best teams right now in the NFC are the Vikings and the Philadelphia Eagles. And I believe in the Dallas Cowboys as well. I throw them in there too. And I think the 49ers can beat all three of them. The 49ers can beat the Cowboys, Eagles, and Vikings. So 49ers are they play some great football. They four and four. Don't don't look at their record and believe they can't go on a run. They're, they're, they're better than four and four. 49ers are a better football team than what their current record says they are. Now, let's go to the Rams. Rams at three and four, it's a chance of L.A. Rams, the defending Super Bowl champs, are done. 
And the reason why I say that is they are a one-dimensional football team. In this game, the Rams didn't even have 60 yards rushing. They had 56 yards rushing for the game. They put the entire game in the hands of Matthew Stafford. And me personally, I don't believe Matthew Stafford is capable, like a Patrick Mahomes, like a Josh Allen, like a Justin Herbert, at being able to carry his team to the promised land and win football games. I think Matthew Stafford is the type of quarterback that needs a reliable rushing attack to be effective. And he doesn't have that on this L.A. Rams team. Their leading running back in this game was Ronnie Rivers. Ronnie Rivers, he had eight carries for 21 rushing yards. Daryl Henderson had four carries for 16 rushing yards. The Rams have no rushing attack to speak of. They are a one-dimensional football team. And even in their strength as a team that passes the football, they're one-dimensional in that as well. They only throw the ball to Cooper Cup. Cooper Cup's the only receiver who they target. Cooper Cup in this matchup had 12 targets. He ended up with eight receptions, 79 receiving yards, one touchdown. Cooper Cup is a top five receiver in the NFL. But the problem is, if you don't want to be predictable, you have to get the football to your other weapons in Allen Robinson, in Tyler Higby, in Skyronek, and being an unpredictable offense and spread the wealth. They always rely on Cooper Cup to bail them out. At some point, you're going to be predictable. And when you're playing against great teams like the 49ers, your offense will be awful on that particular day. That's the biggest issue with the Rams right now. They have no rushing attack to speak of, and Matthew Stafford isn't good enough to carry them to be able to win football games. Sean McVay, he got to figure this out. McVay getting all this money. He's a guru at offensive football. I would expect the Rams to be better offensively under Sean McVay than what they have been this season so far. It has been a disaster for the L.A. Rams. And I know last year they went and made some moves in free agency. Maybe that's what they're going to have to do again this season. They're going to have to go make some moves in free agency. This team should be begging Odell Beckham to come back and resign in L.A. Because he might be a necessity at this point. I thought last year when the Rams went and signed Odell, it was a luxury to have Odell Beckham with Jefferson, with Cooper Cup in that offense. Now it might be a necessity for the L.A. Rams. They need to go and try and re-sign Odell Beckham and pray he can come back to being the version that he was last season. Just pray. But I don't believe in this Rams team whatsoever. And you look at their schedule the rest of the way. This week, they're at Tampa. That's a game that can go either way. That, that's an elimination game. Whichever team loses that game between the Buccaneers and the Rams in week nine, that team will be eliminated from playoff contention. Not officially but realistically they will be eliminated from playoff contention so they're at bucks week nine they're home against the cardinals in week 10 that's a game the rams can possibly win at new orleans in week 11 that's a game they could possibly win but that's a game they could possibly lose as well that's a tricky game for the rams week 12 they're at kansas city that's a loss week 13 they're home against the seahawks the way the seahawks are playing right now and the way geno smith is balling that's a game the rams could lose Week 14, they're home against the Raiders. That's a game they could possibly win, but they can lose that game as well. It's a toss-up. 
Week 15, they're at Green Bay. That's a game. That's a toss-up. Week 16, they are home against the Broncos. That's a game. That's a toss-up. Raiders, Packers, Broncos are all toss-up games for the Rams. If they want to be a playoff team, they got to win all three of them. And then in week 17, they're at the Chargers. That's a home, away from home game for the Rams. That's a game that I would favor the Chargers to win over the Rams. And then week 18, they're at Seattle. Pivotal game in the NFC West. So right now, man, I think it's going to be a struggle for the Rams to make the playoffs. I think it's going to be a struggle. They could possibly finish 17, 8, 9. Nine and eight, that's a no matter what happens with the Rams the rest of the way, they're going to be a fringe playoff team. If they do get into the playoffs, they'll be a six or seven seed. They'll be a wild card team. They ain't winning the NFC West. Not with the way the Seahawks are currently playing, not with the way the 49ers are currently playing. That's my thoughts on the 49ers Rams matchup in the NFC West. Everybody go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at Wise Guys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. Be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram with these guys know sports. I'll be right back. Wise Guys. Tracy Blockers. Chris Mitchell. Tracy Blockers. Chris Mitchell. These guys know sports. Wise Guys. These guys know sports. Wise Guys. Tracy Blockers. Chris Mitchell. These guys know sports. And welcome back to Wise Guys. These guys know sports. Everybody remember, go follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And be sure to follow the Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys Know Sports. Let's move on to the AFC North battle between the Cincinnati Bengals and the Cleveland Browns. The Browns beat the Bengals 32 to 13 for the Bengals. Joe Burrow, he went 25 of 35. He threw for 232 passing yards, two touchdowns, one interception for the Browns. Jacoby Brissett, he had an outstanding performance. He went 17 of 22. He threw for 278 passing yards, one touchdown. Nick Chubb, he had 23 carries, 101 rushing yards, one touchdown. And Joe Burrow fell to 0-4 against the Cleveland Browns. And so I watched this game last night from start to finish. My son wanted to go trick-or-treating early, and we went trick-or-treating, got our trick-or-treating out the way, and we, we got a chance to go in the house and watch some football. And I watched this game from start to finish. And my biggest takeaway from this game was the dominance by the Cleveland Browns. In this game, they had 172 rushing yards, and I thought Nick Chubb was the player of the game. Now, Jacoby Brissett had a great performance as well. He had some terrific passes down the field to Amari Cooper, but I thought Nick Chubb was the most valuable player in this game, and the Bengals' front seven, they had no answers for Nick Chubb in this game. We know the Bengals are led by defensive coordinator Lou Adamaral, and coming into this game, remember, in the first seven games of the season, the Bengals defensively, they hadn't given up a second-half touchdown all season. That Bengals defense was playing at a high level, and I I even had to give them credit. I had, I said, damn, Bengals ain't gave up a second-half touchdown all season long? That's impressive. It was the complete opposite 
in this week eight game against the Cleveland Browns. I thought the Browns completely dominated the Bengals in the second and in the third quarter. In the second and the third quarter, the Browns outscored the Bengals 25 to zero. And in the first half, the Bengals, that defense, they did a great, they did a pretty good job at containing that Browns rushing attack. But in the second half, they wore down. They wore down in the second half, and they they didn't have Eli Apple coming into the game. They lost Abazuki, their defensive back. He's gone for the season. He tore his ACL. That's unfortunate for him. They lost him in this game. So they were thin in the second, in second and secondary. They were thin. And I thought Amari Cooper took advantage of it. Amari Cooper for this game, five receptions, 131 receiving yards, one touchdown. I thought he was a great addition in their offense to what Nick Chubb was giving them. I thought Amari Cooper played a great game overall. And this is the Bengals type of game where you would think that Joe Burrow, with the weapons that he has on the outside, even without Jamar Chase, because a lot of Bengals fans are trying to say, oh, my God, we didn't have Jamar Chase last night. Let me be very, very clear. Even if the Bengals had Jamar Chase last night, the Bengals would have lost this game to the Cleveland Browns. Jamar Chase can't play defensive tackle. He can't play defensive end. The Bengals couldn't stop the run, and they couldn't protect Joe Burrow. That's the main two reasons why they lost this game. The Browns had five sacks in this game, and I thought the key play in this game was Miles Garrett on the first drive. Miles Garrett was disruptive. He was tipping passes from Joe Burrow, creating opportunities for other defenders to come and intercept the football. I thought Miles Garrett did an outstanding job setting the tone for the Browns' defense. And shout out to Miles Garrett because Miles Garrett got into a horrific car accident a few weeks ago, and I, I saw the pictures from that car accident. He is blessed that he was able to walk away from that car accident, him and whoever he was with. So shout out to Miles Garrett, man. I'm glad he's back playing football, back on the field. Miles Garrett is one of the best defensive players we have in the NFL. I know everyone wants to talk about Micah Parsons, and rightfully so. I like Micah Parsons. He's, he's a stud defensively for the Dallas Cowboys. But Miles Garrett has been doing it at a much longer pace than Micah Parsons has. He's been playing at a high level longer than Parsons has overall. So I thought he was the, the, the biggest difference in the game, and he had a major impact on the Browns defensively. For whatever reason, the Bengals offensive line, they have not figured out how to protect Joe Burrow. This is the Bengals offensive line this season. They've allowed 30 sacks. That's the second most in the NFL. On their pass block win rate, they only went on 48%. That's ranked 30th in the NFL. Joe Burrow has 2.6 average seconds to throw. That's the fourth fastest in the NFL. So once again, the Cincinnati Bengals offensive line cannot protect their star quarterback. Because I believe Joe Burrow, when he's at his best, is one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. But you can't be one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL if you're always on your back. That's the biggest issue right now with the Cincinnati Bengals. They cannot protect Joe Burrow. This Bengals offensive line, I'm calling all of you out tonight on the show. 
center Ted Karras, who they signed in free agency, right guard Alex Kappa, right tackle Lyle Collins. He's been a shell of himself. Left, left tackle Jonah Williams, Cordell Volson. This offensive line for the Bengals has been terrible in the first eight weeks of the season. They've been terrible. And for whatever reason, Zach Taylor hasn't figured out that he doesn't have a good offensive line. Forget about being a great offensive line. Zach Taylor, newsflash, you don't even have an average offensive line. Your offensive line is a below average offensive line. Change up your schemes. Change up what you're doing. Get a running back like Joe Mixon or Hurst to chip. You can't have all these receivers going out into the passing lanes to catch passes and your five offensive linemen cannot win their blocking assignments. When is Zach Taylor going to understand this? I'm not even a Bengals fan, and I'm watching these games and seeing how the Bengals have to change up what they're doing offensively and have an extra player who can help them with their blocking assignments because they can't win one-on-one matchups up front. That was the biggest difference last night in the game. The Browns' defensive line dominated the Bengals' offensive line. That's why the Bengals lost this game. And it had nothing to do with Jamar Chase. It had nothing to do with Jamar Chase not playing in this game. Because even if Jamar Chase played in this game, Joe Burrow would not have had time to deliver him the football down the field. That's the issue right now. Because Jamar Chase is off the field, though, now the Bengals' offensive line they have to hold their blocks longer so routes can develop down the field. And their offensive line can't do it. They cannot do it to save their lives. That's the biggest issue right now with the Bengals. They got elite weapons in Chase, in Higgins, in Boyd. But they don't have time to get into their routes because Joe Burrow is on his back. That's the issue with the Bengals right now. Their offensive line, they thought they had addressed that in the offseason. But their offensive line this year, Maybe worse than it was last year. Remember last year, Joe Burrow got sacked a league high 51 times. He got sacked over 20 times in the playoffs last year, seven times in the Super Bowl. So this is an ongoing issue for the Cincinnati Bengals offensive. They can't protect Joe Burrow. And I thought about something else last night as I was watching the game. I know Bengals fans don't want to hear this, but it was reports before Joe Burrow got drafted by the Bengals there are reports about how if Joe Burrow, if he wasn't from Ohio, he wouldn't have wanted to go and play in Cincinnati. They were talking about he didn't want to go to Cincinnati and play, but him being from Ohio, wanted to be close to home, he accepted it. But they were talking about how Joe Burrow, he didn't want to come to Cincinnati and play for the Cincinnati Bengals. So I was thinking about Andrew Luck, and we witnessed Andrew Luck retire sooner than what we expected. Andrew Luck had at least 10 more years of playing quarterback in the NFL. And Andrew Luck decided to retire literally out of nowhere. Why did Andrew Luck retire? He retired because Jim Irsay and the coach organization did not put an offensive line in front of him to protect him, and he took way too many hits. That's exactly what's going on right now with Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals. If Zach Taylor and Mike Brown do not address this offensive line with Joe Burrow, Joe Burrow may decide 
that he doesn't want to sign a second contract and he may depart Cincinnati. It may happen. So that's why I think it's very, very important for the Bengals organization to figure out the best possible five linemen who they can put in front of Joe Burrow and protect their investment. Because if they don't protect their investment, they can find themselves in the same position as the Indianapolis Colts. The Colts ain't been the same since Andrew Luck retired. They've had Carson Wentz, Phillip Rivers, Matt Ryan. They've been searching for a quarterback since Andrew Luck retired. If the Bengals don't protect Joe Burrow, they could possibly be in the same situation as the Indianapolis Colts. They better go and protect this, brother. I love Joe Burrow. I think Joe Burrow is one of the best young quarterbacks in the NFL. He's as good as Josh Allen. He's as good as Justin Herbert. But if he's not protected and he's on his backside, you can't even see Joe Burrow fling that football down the field the way that we know he can. Everybody want to blame Joe Mixon and say Joe Mixon not the same running back this season than what he was in previous years. Maybe Joe Mixon isn't having a great season. I still believe Joe Mixon is a top 10 running back at his best in the NFL. I don't believe Joe Mixon forgot how to play running back all of a sudden. I still think Joe Mixon is a running back who you can hand the football off to and he can give you production in the running game. Now, in this matchup, Mixon had only eight carries for 27 rushing yards. So he was ineffective in this game. But remember, the Bengals at one point in this game, they were down 25 to zero. So the running game was irrelevant at that point. You got to pass the football with Joe Burrow. So again, man, they, they got to they gotta figure out a way to protect Joe Burrow, man, and, and do a better job at being able to get receivers open down the field. Receivers have no time to get open because Joe Burrow's getting sacked and on his backside. Let's look at the Bengals' offense last night. They had 13 points last night. That season rank is worst for them. Their point differential was minus 19. That was, the, that was the worst for them this season. They had 229 yards of offense. That was the worst of the season. 15 total first downs. Worst of the season. 36 rushing yards. Worst of the season. So they can't figure out how to beat the Cleveland Browns and they can't figure out how to protect Joe Burrow. You look at that Browns Defensive line, they got Miles Garrett up front. They got Jadavion Clowney as well. And in this game, it was a bunch of players who contributed to the Browns' defense. Miles Garrett had 1.5 sacks. Tevin Bryant had a half a sack. Martin Emerson, Sion Tayaki had a sack as well. So that, that, that Browns' defensive line was impressive. Now, the key for the Browns is going to be, how is this team going to perform once Deshaun Watson returns back to the field? They said he's going to come back in week 13, I believe. So he's going to be the starting quarterback for the Browns the rest of the season. Remember, Deshaun Watson hasn't played in two years. He hasn't played in almost two years. So it's going to be interesting to see if the Browns can still be in the hunt once Deshaun Watson returns back to the lineup. He's going to be rusty. He's going to be, he ain't played in two years. So he's going to be rusty. It's going to be interesting to see. But like I said, man, I think I think this game, it was the, the Bengals offensive line got dominated by the Browns defensive line. And the Browns offensive line outperformed the Bengals defensive line. And again, Burrow 
This is his numbers against the Cleveland Browns. He's 0-4 against the Cleveland Browns. In those matchups in 2020, Burrow had one turnover. He got sacked three times in that game. That same season, he had two turnovers, got sacked four times. That was a loss. And then last year, we had two turnovers, five sacks. That was a loss. Last night, two turnovers, five sacks. That was a loss. So Burrow doesn't play well against the Cleveland Browns. The Cleveland Browns, they have Joe Burrow's number. And Kevin Stefanski is 5-0 against Zach Taylor. Similar to what we talked about with Kyle Shanahan dominating Sean McVay, Kevin Stefanski dominates Zach Taylor in the AFC. So we got a little bit of that going on as well. This ain't really the same. Joe actually is getting more time to throw this year than he last. The biggest investor in the line is just weak on Jonah's side. There isn't too many lines in the league he can run to and not get sacked. The team's got line their quarterback already. I don't know who you are, Facebook users. I wish I could see your name, but I respect your comment. I, I just think overall that that offensive line is, is, is still terrible. I'm not seeing much difference this season than what I seen last year. I want to also say this about the Browns real quick, though, before I move on to my next topic. Nick Chubb was dominant in this game, and this is the most games with 70 scrimmage yards by two running backs in a single game. Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, both, they have 11 games of 70 scrimmage yards in a game. That's more than Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon with eight, and Tony Pollard and Ezekiel Elliott with seven. So Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb, are arguably the best running back duo in the NFL. I love Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon in Green Bay. I love Tony Pollard and Ezekiel Elliott in Dallas. But I think Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt got the total package. I really believe that. I believe the Browns choosing not to trade Kareem Hunt was the right decision. They got a two-headed monster at the running back position, and that's helped Jacoby Brissett. I thought Jacoby Brissett did a great job in this game. He completed 77% of his passes in his game, only five incompletions. So Jacoby Brissett had a very, very impressive performance. You look at his numbers for the season, Brissett has seven touchdowns, five interceptions, 1,862 passing yards. He's completed 64% of his passes. Jacoby Brissett is a game manager. He's not a franchise quarterback like Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, or Patrick Mahomes. But you can win games with Jacoby Brissett. He has experience dating back to his days in New England with the Patriots. And remember, he went to Indianapolis as well. So Jacoby Brissett is a quarterback who can have those games where you say, man, he put on a performance today. And he's part of the reason why the Browns won last night. Nick Chubb was great. Kareem Hunt was great. But you got to show some love to Jacoby Brissett for sure. Everybody remember, go follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. On Instagram, at these guys know sports. Fresh out the break, I'm going to talk about the Brooklyn Nets firing Steve Nash. I'll be right back. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to Wise Guys. These guys know sports. Here live on the Worldwide Sports Network. Everybody remember, going to follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. Be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram, at these guys know sports. Let's transition to some NBA and talk about the Brooklyn Nets as the Brooklyn Nets have fired Steve Nash as head coach after a 2-5 and five start to the season. 
Steve Nash was 94 and 67 in three seasons with the Nets. And so also there were breaking news in the immediate aftermath of the Nets firing Steve Nash. Suspended Celtics head coach Ime Udoka has emerged as the likely next Brooklyn Nets head coach. And his hiring could be finalized as soon as the next 24 to 48 hours, sources tell ESPN. Celtics will allow him to leave for another job. That is Adrian Wojnarowski from ESPN. And so my initial reaction to the Brooklyn Nets firing Steve Nash was, what the hell took so long? I don't understand why they even brought Steve Nash back to start the season. Once Kevin Durant announced that he was going to rescind his trade request and he was going to remain in Brooklyn, why the hell did Sean Marks, the general manager for the Brooklyn Nets and the Nets organization, why did they keep Steve Nash as their head coach? It made zero sense. They should have been looking for a coach once Kevin Durant demanded that, remember in the offseason, Kevin Durant demanded, he said, everyone needs to go. The head coach needs to go and the general manager needs to go or me. That's what he told the Nets owner. Remember that happened this offseason. And once he decided to return back to Brooklyn and mend fences with that organization, the Brooklyn Nets organization should have fired Steve Nash then. They should have let Steve Nash walk at that point because over the last few seasons, we've seen that Steve Nash is not the right coach for this Brooklyn Nets basketball team. He doesn't make offensive adjustments. We witnessed last year in the NBA playoffs, the Celtics defensively, they completely shut down Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. Now, Kevin Durant's still going to get his numbers because Kevin Durant is one of the greatest scorers in NBA history. Kyrie Irving is a showstopper. He's one of the most exciting players in NBA history. But last year in that playoff series against the Boston Celtics, Steve Nash got completely outcoached by Ime Udoka. It was a mismatch in that playoff series. It happened again in the previous season in the playoffs. That was the season where Kyrie Irving got injured midway through the series. The Nets had James Harden. They had Kevin Durant still, and they took the Milwaukee Bucks to seven games. That was a season where the Milwaukee Bucks won their championship. But remember, in the second round, we got Kevin Durant versus Giannis. We got Harden versus Middleton. We got Nets versus Bucks. But in that playoff series, Mike Budenholzer outcoached Steve Nash. And I thought that Steve Nash struggled having an offensive identity. He didn't create open shots for Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving. Everything was off the dribble for the Nets. Everything was one-on-one basketball. There was no ball movement. There was no setups offensively to get Kevin Durant the basketball in key spaces on the floor to score. That was the biggest issue with Steve Nash and how he coached this basketball team. He didn't really make many adjustments. And defensively, the Nets, they've been terrible. You look at the Nets under Steve Nash. This was in 2020. Their defense was ranked 22nd in the NBA. Their offense was ranked first. 
2021, their defense was ranked 20th in the NBA. Their offense was ranked 10th. And so far this season, their defense is ranked 29th in the NBA, and their offense is ranked 16th in the NBA. So the one thing that Steve Nash had going for him was the offense in the first two seasons was still flowing at a high level, and they were still scoring a lot of points. But this year, they're in the middle of the pack offensively, and defensively, they're still a bottom-half basketball team. They haven't improved. They haven't improved. They got players defensively who can actually play defense in Ben Simmons, in Royce O'Neal, in Claxton. You would think the Nets would be better defensively, but they're terrible overall, and I believe that's the biggest issue right now for the Brooklyn Nets, and that's why they fired Steve Nash. I believe this was the right decision because you still have a chance to save the season. You don't want to have Nash stick around until February, March. No, get rid of Steve Nash now. Go and hire a coach who you believe can take you over the top and have the Brooklyn Nets as NBA championship contenders. Because with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, the Brooklyn Nets should be better than their 2-5 and five record says they currently are. It is a shame what's going on right now in Brooklyn. They need to figure out what they're going to do moving forward as far as their head coach. But you got Kyrie Irving, one of the best ball handlers in the NBA, best ball handler of all time, arguably, a terrific clutch player who make plays in key moments. I believe Kyrie Irving is as clutch as it gets. Dame Dollar is up there as well, but Kyrie Irving is as clutch as it gets. You got Kevin Durant as well. One of the greatest scorers in NBA history. When we think about greatest scorers, I think about Kareem. I think about Jordan. I think about Kobe. Kevin Durant deserves to be in that conversation. So for the Brooklyn Nets to not reach a conference finals under Steve Nash is an underachievement. It is an underachievement by this Brooklyn Nets team to not have at least reached the conference finals. I mean, you got Kyrie, you got Kevin Durant, you got some shooters in Joe Harris and Seth Curry. You would think they would be better. But we got we see other teams in the Eastern Conference who have gotten to the NBA Finals. I was stunned. Now, I wanted Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum to beat Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. But I didn't see it being a complete sweep. They swept them out of the playoffs. It was a complete mismatch. And why did the Boston Celtics sweep the Brooklyn Nets out of the playoffs? Because the Boston Celtics play defense. So whoever the Brooklyn Nets hire next, they have to preach defense in order for this team to be title contenders. You look at the game last night against the Indiana Pacers, the Brooklyn Nets, they had like a 24-point lead in that game. And they almost blew the game last night against the Indiana Pacers. The Indiana Pacers are one of the worst teams in the NBA. The Indiana Pacers are no championship contender. They're not even a playoff contender. And the Nets struggled with the Pacers last night. Nets, they beat the Pacers 116-109, and they had a big lead in this game, a 24-point lead, and they almost gave that up. So this was a, a, something that should have happened months ago. Once Kevin Durant decided to come back to Brooklyn and mend fences with that organization, 
They should have moved on from Steve Nash then. They should have moved on from him then. I sent a video on social media a couple days ago. Steve Nash got ejected from the Bucks game last week, I believe. And you saw Steve Nash was frustrated after the game. Now we see why. We see why Steve Nash was frustrated because he knew he was on his way out of Brooklyn. They say it was a mutual decision. I don't believe that. I think the Nets were ready to get rid of Steve Nash. And I think the organization wanted Steve. They wanted to keep Nash. But I believe Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant wanted Nash gone. They respect Steve Nash as the player. They don't respect Steve Nash as the coach. Remember before Steve Nash even came to Brooklyn, Kyrie Irving in a podcast was talking about how the Nets don't even need a coach. So I don't believe Kyrie or Katie respected Steve Nash as a head coach. They respect him as a basketball player, but not as a head coach. So I think this was the right move for the Brooklyn Nets. I think they need to now figure out who's going to be their next head coach. And they got to make the right decision here because if the, this head coach doesn't work, it's a possibility Kevin Durant may ask to be traded again. He may ask to be traded again, but he does have four years left on his contract. So if the Nets want to stand firm and hold Kevin Durant's feet to the fire, they could force Kevin Durant to remain in Brooklyn throughout the duration of this contract. But also this season so far, Ben Simmons has been awful. Ben Simmons is not the same player in Brooklyn than what he was in Philly before his last season. Defensively, he's not the same. Doesn't try to score. There was a play last week where Kyrie Irving gave the ball to Ben Simmons in the paint, and you could hear Kyrie screaming at Ben, shoot the ball, Ben, shoot, shoot. Ben Simmons is petrified at trying to score the basketball. He doesn't even attempt shots in the paint. Now, we know he's never been a great perimeter shooter, but he has the athleticism to attack the rim and finish at the rim. He doesn't even do that anymore. Ben Simmons has not the same Ben Simmons of old. Something's going on with Ben Simmons. I hope he can get his personal situations off the court handled so we can see Ben Simmons play at a high level on the court and contribute to the Nets being able to win basketball games. Ben Simmons is not the same player that he once was, and I hope he can get better. Now, they're talking about how Ime Udoka is the replacement for Steve Nash. I believe if the Brooklyn Nets hire Ime Udoka, this would be the perfect destination for Ime Udoka in Brooklyn. I believe if the Brooklyn Nets go and hire Ime Udoka, they will elevate themselves to being a top three team in the Eastern Conference. That would be a power move by general manager Sean Marks and the owner in Josiah going and getting Ime Udoka. Remember last year, Ime Udoka in his first season as head coach in Boston. Ime Udoka, he went 51-31, and 31, so he won 62% of his games. The Boston Celtics were the three seed in the Eastern Conference. So Ime Udoka in his first season, he had the Boston Celtics in the NBA Finals, and he had Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum elevate their games. Well, they were the two seed last year in the Eastern Conference. The Celtics were the two seed. They had the same record as the Bucs, but they owned the tiebreaker over the Bucs. So in his first season, the 
Celtics went to the NBA Finals. Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum both improved their games because for multiple years in Boston, it was the Brad Stevens show. And Brad Stevens could not get Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum to elevate their games to the next level for the Celtics to get to the finals. Remember the Celtics, they got to the conference finals against the Heat, and they never was able to get over that hump. They couldn't get over that hump. They got to the conference finals against LeBron and the Cavs as well. They could never get over that hump. And under Ime Udoka in his first season as head coach, he led the Boston Celtics to the NBA finals. Ime Udoka can coach some basketball. Say what you want about him off the floor, but Ime Udoka is a hell of a coach. And I believe that if he is inserted as the head coach in Brooklyn, the Brooklyn Nets would be instant championship contenders, and they will be a top three seed in the Eastern Conference. Everybody go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H, also on Facebook, Wise Guys. We should follow Wise Guys on Instagram with These Guys Know Sports. Coming out the break, I'm going to bring on Cristiano Ratliff from the Nuts and Bolts podcast. I'm Trey Larkins. I'll be right back. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to Wise Guys. These guys know sports here live on the Worldwide Sports Network. Remember, everybody go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys Know Sports. Want to give a live update? The Philadelphia Phillies are beating the Houston Astros 4 0. It's top of the third out there in Philadelphia. So I know. Philly fans are going crazy out there in Philadelphia. The city of brotherly love is turned up tonight for the Philadelphia Phillies. Philadelphia Eagles, they undefeated. They're 7-0 on the season. So Philadelphia got something going up there. Up there. They got something going on, man. They're they, they doing their thing with a football team and a baseball team. So they got a lot going on up there in, in Philly. I know earlier I was talking about the Nets. The Nets are beating the Chicago Bulls right now, 61-53. to a little over 10 minutes left in the third quarter of that game. And speaking of the Chicago Bulls in Chicago, she's a writer and sports podcast host of the Nuts and <laughs> Sports Show. She is a sports journalist. She is Christy Love. I want to welcome to the show. Christy, what's up? I'm good. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for joining the show tonight. It's a lot of stuff I want to talk about with you with Chicago sports. Ooh, <laughs> okay. I know you're a Bulls and Bears fan. Yes. So are you also a fan of the Cubs or the White Sox? I've always been a Cubs fan. Always. I don't do the White Sox. Nope. <laughs> okay. So you're a Cubs fan. Okay. 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 Yeah. So I know you were born in South Carolina and you moved to Chicago at six years old. When did you mm -hmm. officially become a Chicago sports fan, and what made you become a fan of the Bulls, Bears, and Cubs? Well, I became a fan of sports at 12 years old. Um, I became a Bear, um, a Bulls fan first. Um, I was like in, I think, sixth or seventh grade. Uh, it was during Christmas break. I was bored at home. So one night I was just watching TV, and I found the Bulls. They was on, I don't know who they was playing, but they was on TV playing. They were down like 10 points or so. And I watched them rally back and win the game. And I was so impressed with how, you know, as a team, they came back and won. Because at this time, they had Ben Gordon, Kirk Heinrich, Andres Nocioni, Scott Skiles was the coach, uh, all of them, Eddie Curry, Tyson Chandler, and they were the baby bulls. So 
they were like a 500 team. So when they came back in one, I'm like, oh, this was fun to watch. Let me go ahead and look into the Bulls and see what they're about and see their next game. And ever since then, I've been I've been watching the Bulls. And then the Bears came, I think, a year later. Uh, this is back when they had – who they had? They had Nathan Vasher. They had Brian Erlacher, Lance Briggs. Lovely Smith was the coach. And I remember uh, Nathan Vasher in particular. He was the return guy. Um, so he always did them kick returns. Um, and I just fell in love with how physical the sport was. I fell in love with how the Bears were as a team. So ever since then, I just – flourished into becoming a Bulls and the Bears fan and then with the Cubs my dad is a Cubs fan so I was like in high school <laughs> when I became a baseball fan um he would sit at home and just watch the Cubs play all day and I would just sit there and watch with him because I like sports and I fell in love with them then back then Dusty was the coach and they had Derek Lee uh I cannot think of the Cubs players names right now but it was a while ago so my dad made me a Cubs fan, and here I am today. <laughs> okay, okay. So let's start mm -hmm. off with the Bulls. So yeah. you were there in the 90s. How was it living in Chicago during the Bulls <laughs> dynasty? I know you were young. I know you were young. I was young. young. <laughs> but, but, but do you remember, though, anything that your dad told you about living in Chicago at that time during the Bulls dynasty? I will say this. Um, my dad took my mom to a Bulls game during the 90s. He remember what game it was because it was on the last dance. It was one of Jordan's last shots, last buzzer shots. Um, and Jordan took the last shot, and my mom was asleep in the stands, and, and the crowd just went, wow. And my mom was like, oh, my God, what happened? It was an iconic Jordan shot that he did, I think, uh, in Chicago. And my dad could just say, you know, it was my mom, too. It was just fun being a Bulls fan back then in the 90s, um, seeing Jordan, Scottie Pippen. It was just special. And then when he retired, everybody was all like, oh, he's retiring? It was just sad. It was He was sad about it. Let's talk about the Bulls dynasty and their championships. They won six <laughs> championships. Yep. They are the home of the greatest player in NBA history. So how do you personally feel about Michael Jordan's Bulls now that you're older and got a chance to watch The Last Dance. Well, I'm going to say this. Michael Jordan was that guy. He will always forever be that guy in Chicago and throughout the world of sports. Um, watching The Last Dance opened up to how they were as a team off the court. Michael Jordan, he was that guy. I loved how during the practice, when he was practicing with his team, how he showed them tough love. I, I love that, even though it might be an issue today. But him cussing at these players, um, you know, just roughing him up to become tough because basketball was tough as ever back then. I love that so much because you need that. You need that to win. It's going to drive you to be a better player. And when it's time to, when it's time in the clutch to, you know, do what you have to do to win the game. So I, I love that. Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan is that guy. Do you personally, Christy, believe that MJ is the greatest player of all time? And have you ever got a chance to watch him play in person? I have not. Been, I have not. Um, but, yes, he is one of the greatest players of all time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, Krista, you're on the Wise Guy Sports Show. I don't. You can't get away with that. You said he's one of the greatest. We know that. Do you believe MJ is the GOAT? Do you believe he's the greatest of all time? I'm going to say yes. The man won six in Chicago. You can't yeah. take that from him. You know what I'm saying? Michael Jordan came to the Bulls, and I believe he gave the Bulls their first championship as a franchise. 
before he had Pippen, I believe. I believe. Yes. You don't sound as decisive as I thought you would. Who else do you believe is in that, that greatest of all time conversation when it comes to the NBA great? Well, you can't dismiss LeBron. I will put LeBron, you know, even though it's an it's a ongoing debate, I will put him in that category. But Michael, Michael is on that list above LeBron. So, Michael, yeah. Yeah. Yes. I, see, I always say for me, Christy, personally, I believe one of the players who never got enough love in the GOAT conversation, RIP to the great Black Mamba, Kobe Bryant. I always thought that Kobe deserved to be in that GOAT conversation alongside, he is. alongside LeBron. He, he, he is. A lot of people be forgetting about Kobe. And I think you can't forget about Kobe. Me, personally, if it wasn't for Mike, it may not be a Kobe. But you can't forget about the Black Mamba, especially in, yeah. especially today. Especially today. Right. You can't. So can't that's crazy that people will forget about him. It's crazy. He, he's, right? he, he's, he's definitely he's definitely on that, on that list, yeah. For sure. I mean, five-time NBA champion, two-time finals MVP. He only got one MVP award. I think that's ridiculous. I thought Kobe yeah. should have won MVP. A few times. So let's talk about Scottie Pippen real quick. As okay. on the Bulls team, Scottie Pippen was the second best player. And a lot of people, they don't believe he got the credit that he deserved helping the Bulls win championships. I don't believe he could have won championships as a number one on a championship team. How do you feel about Pippen in the role he played helping the Bulls win championships? Honestly, I agree with you. And you know, Scottie Pippen, back in the 90s, he had his chance to show the world and be that number one guy. It was that game in the last shot. Uh, Phil Jackson asked him to, uh, he asked him to uh, make the last shot and he didn't want to do it because he was upset. I feel like in that moment, he should have did that to prove, to show everybody that he can be the number one guy, that he can, you know, be the guy that you can rely on besides Mike. But he was in his feelings so much and he just, he just blew it. So he will forever be looked at as Michael Jordan's Robin. You know what I'm saying? He had his chance to prove it, but he blew it. He'll be number two. And, and honestly, Christy, when I look at all these NBA greats and their Robins that they play with, mm -hmm. I look at Kobe and Shaq as being mm -hmm. close to equivalent. I look at LeBron mm -hmm. and D-Wade being close to equivalent. I look at Magic and Kareem at being close to equivalent. We knew that MJ was the man in Chicago. It was never yeah. a question about whose team it Absolutely. was. When the Lakers was in their <laughs> dynasty, we had questions about who's the best player. Is it Kobe? Is it Shaq? When when they had their dynasty with Magic and Kareem, it was questions. Whose team is it? Is it Magic? Is it Kareem's mm -hmm. team? And then with the Miami Heat, when LeBron went to South Beach, that was Dwayne mm -hmm. Wade's team. And it was. Dwayne Wade was the closer. Even though LeBron was the best player in Miami, Dwayne Wade was the closer for those Miami Heat teams, it was never a question in Chicago who was the man. I don't want to disrespect Scottie Pippen because Scottie Pippen is one of the greatest players <laughs> in NBA history. He took yeah. on the responsibility of guarding the opposing team's best player during those Bulls playoff runs. But Absolutely. Close or in the same stratosphere as Michael Jordan. <laughs> Absolutely. You know what? Have you read his book? I have you read it. I read read it. It will give you a more insight on his thoughts and his his opinions about him being number two next to Mike. You know, read it. I'm gonna definitely have to check it out. I'm gonna definitely check it out. Yes. When you listen to Scottie Pippen talk in interviews, Christy, 
if you notice, when he always talk about who his goat is, he don't say Michael Jordan. He say if you have seen it. Because he's upset. He's upset. He don't like yeah. the fact that Mike got all that credit. Read his right. book. I promise you, we'll talk about all of that. He he he's bitter and come on, Scotty, you too old for that. Yeah. He know he know he know he just in his feelings. He's too yeah he's too in his feelings. Like this this is to Scotty tonight on the Wise Guys show. Scotty, let it go. Let it go. <laughs> Please. Had so much success in Chicago. Six NBA championships. The Bulls were a dynasty in the 90s. I had a whole video on YouTube about this, Christy, talking about how bitter Scottie Pippen is towards Michael Jordan. And I think that was <laughs> I think that was a part of the reason why Scotty was mad in that playoff series when Jordan had retired, Christy. He was mad because he wanted Phil Jackson to give him an opportunity to shoot the game-winning potential shot because he wanted to prove that he was the man Without MJ, he had that opportunity. He right. had the opportunity. Yeah, yeah. He had that opportunity, and he he blew it. So he needed to let that go. Yeah, he did. And then and then what ended up happening was I think Kukoc ended up hitting the game when it shot for the Bulls. Yes, he game. did. He yeah. did. That's exactly what happened. Scotty, let it go, man. Stop being so bitter towards MJ. MJ and Scotty, I hope they can mend fences and and have a better relationship Me too. Me too. as they get older. So we had. The last dance, Christy, in 2020, gave us basketball yeah. fans something to look forward to. And they talked about Phil Jackson and his toxic relationship with general manager Jerry Krause. Have you ever heard Bulls fans discuss how they truly felt about management breaking up the team after that last championship in 98? Because if you remember, Jerry Krause told Phil Jackson, no matter what the outcome was of that season, that was going to be the last year for that Chicago Bulls team to be together. So have you ever heard Bulls fans discuss how they felt about management at that time? At that time, I was young. But okay. management? Yeah, the management, like Jerry Krause and yeah, like yeah. the organization, because I thought the Bulls could have still won championship. They could have, because the last year before they broke up, they did. That was day six. They, they won a six ring. Management has always been an issue in Chicago up until recent. It's always been an issue, unfortunately. I think they would have won maybe another one or two if they would have kept that Jordan team together. Like, Absolutely. After, that's when Tim Duncan got his first championship with the San Antonio mm -hmm. Spurs. Mm -hmm. If Jordan the Bulls had to play Tim Duncan and the Spurs in the NBA Finals, I'm rolling with MJ. With all due respect to Tim Duncan. Yes. I thought they could at least won one more championship. My belief, Christy, was when you have a dynasty, you don't just break up the dynasty, like, just forcefully. Like, you allow these players to get old. Warriors, they won four championships in eight seasons. I can't see the Warriors organization breaking up that Warriors team until Steph or Clay gets older and they no longer can play at a high level. I believe you have to allow dynasties to die out on their own because they're, well, they're, 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 not, they're not things that happen very frequently, you know, like it's not. Something that happens. But Jordan did say, and I think he said in the last dance that he didn't want to play basketball. He didn't want to continue to play basketball to a point where he couldn't play at a high level. He wanted to stop playing before he got, you know, where he can't shoot or he just, he's horrible on, on the court like other players have been. So, uh, Maybe it kind of worked out, but maybe they could have did, like I said, one more year. Okay, Christy, let's transition to today's Chicago Bulls. Last year Ooh. they finished 46 and 36.
They were sixth mm. in the Eastern Conference. They made the playoffs mm. for the first time since 2016. They lost to the mm. Milwaukee Bucks in mm. five games. In that series, they didn't have Lonzo Ball. They lost Zach Levine and Alex Caruso for game five because of COVID. DeMar DeRozan talked about the Bulls being an inexperienced team in the playoffs last year. What was your biggest takeaway from the Bulls' first round loss to the Bucks last year? We fell apart when the season first started. We were at the top. We were the number one seed. You know, we kind of juggled between first and fifth, but it was extremely tight in the East, like that first half of the season last year. We were playing at a high level. Granted, we had that COVID fiasco mid-season, and we did battle like some injuries, but at, towards the end of the playoffs, it's like we just collapsed. You know, because, you know, Caruso got hurt because uh, they played Milwaukee. I can't think of his name. I think it was Grayson. Grayson did a hard foul on Caruso and fractured his wrist. So he was out for like six weeks. We didn't play well at all. And believe it or not, our best player was Vucevic. He showed out, surprisingly. Um, I think it was that one game we won. He he played his heart out, you know, yeah. and that actually transitioned to this season because he's playing well. It was a lot of inconsistencies because Vooch was inconsistent last year. Um, we didn't really have a big man down low. We just started to go downhill as the yeah. season progressed. This year, uh, even though the season just started, um, we look a little inconsistent. Um, we start off the game slow, like almost every game. I think we're still losing to Brooklyn right now. And then we always play behind the ball towards the end and try to get the win. And sometimes we do, and sometimes we don't get the win. So, you know, Lonzo is still out, and then Zach is battling an injury. I just hope as the season progresses this year that we can get better and get back to being like that top contending team because right now we're like Tennessee in the East. <laughs> Last year, Christy, going into the NBA playoffs, when the yeah. matchups were announced, crazy for me to believe, I thought the Bulls had a chance against the Milwaukee Bucks last year. I said, yeah, they yes. They got Zach Levine. Yeah. You know, they got Alice Caruso. They going up against Giannis and the defending champion, Milwaukee Bucks. But you remember, Chris Middleton got injured in that. Yes, season. and he was hurt, and that, and we should have capitalized off that. Yeah, yeah. that was one of our best shooters. We should have capitalized. I didn't think y'all would get beat in five games. Me neither. We couldn't stop Giannis. Who's gonna stop Giannis? Like be honest, if we would have stopped Giannis, we would have had a chance. But they dog walked us. I think y'all won game two. <laughs> it was in Milwaukee, I think, when we when we won. Y'all could have won the first game. Yeah, yeah. I lost that game. I think y'all stole game two, and I'm like, okay, it's one one. Coming back to Chicago. Yes, let's get that. Let's get that uh, win in game three. They're going to have their own crowd. Ready yeah, and rolling. It just didn't happen, man. Everything just fell apart. It and did. The Bar the Rose. I think y'all inexperienced team that it showed in the playoffs. And the Bucks, they are an, they are an experienced team. They won a championship two years yeah. ago. Yeah. And Giannis is arguably the best player right now in the NBA. Mm -hmm. Got a closer in mm -hmm. Chris Wilson. They got a defensive specialist. In so we know the, the the Milwaukee Bucks. In order to beat them in a playoff series, you got to be firing off on all cylinders. And I thought your Bulls did fall apart, but I think they got yeah. the talent, Christy. I really think they got a the talent for sure. Absolutely, yeah. we got Demar. Demar last year he was averaging thirty points per game. He had ten plus games where he got over forty points or at least forty points. 
Um, but I've, I've been seeing last year or hearing from other Bulls fans that it's some type of weird vibe between Zach and, De and DeMar DeRozan. It was a thing where DeMar came in and that was his team, but before he came, it was Zach's team. And people felt like it was some type of weird vibe between them. Cause you no, know, Demar came in, and you know I'm I'm that dude. That probably could have played a part also, but that could have been fans looking too deep into it also. Question was the next question I was gonna ask you because in the off season, yeah, the they re-signed Zach Levine. They signed him to a five-year, two hundred fifteen million extension. Mm -hmm. He averaged yep. five points per game on forty-eight percent shooting from the floor last year. So I, I I was wondering how excited were you when the Bulls re-signed Levine? to go alongside the Rosie. I was excited. It was a lot of back and forth, whether they was going to sign Zach, especially him having that, I think it was a knee injury, with getting the max deal, or should they trade and get somebody else? I was excited, but, you know, it was a lot of free agents out that we could have got. But, you know, he's here. He wants to be in Chicago. He's dedicated. But in the offseason, he did want to explore his options. He did say that. You know, trying to test the waters and see what else is out there. So that let this in the uproar, like, oh, my God, he's going to leave Chicago. But I'm glad it all worked out. It sucks he's starting with the injury this season after yeah. selling that. Yeah, yeah, I agree. That, that's bad because I believe in the NBA, in order to win championships, Christy, you got to mm -hmm. have great perimeter players. Bulls dynasty, they had Jordan, they had Pippen. The Heat dynasty, they had LeBron, they had D-Wade, right? And then... Yeah. With the Clippers, they haven't won a championship yet, but they got Paul George. They got Kawhi Leonard. I looked at DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine as being those two players who you can build your team around and mm -hmm. be a championship contender in the Eastern Conference. Absolutely. It hasn't happened yet. So I think the Bulls front office should be patient with Levine and with DeRozan and see where this team could possibly go once everyone is healthy. Well, DeMar is kind of up there in age. So we can't – so – we don't got that much time. If we're going to win, I'll say within the next year or two at the max. Because DeMar, like, what, in his 30s? 33. Yeah, he's 33. Yeah. He's playing at a high level at 33, but he's 33. So we don't have that much time. So, like, now is the time, to be honest. I do think we can move a couple of players around, like uh, Patrick Williams and Kobe White. They're inconsistent. They're not doing as much justice, so we can move and maybe get something for them to help out. But we need to do something like now while DeMar is playing at a high level. Now, they are coached by Billy Donovan. We know he's a two-time NCAA champion as head coach at mm -hmm. the collegiate level. Since he's been in Chicago, his head coaching record in his first two seasons, it was 31-41 and 41 in 2020. It was 46-36 and 36 in 2021. Do you believe in Donovan being the right head coach in place to help the Bulls become championship contenders in the East. I think so. He he turned this team around. They went to the playoffs last year. Granted, we lost in the first round. We went to the playoffs for the first time since 2016. You know what I'm saying? We had a couple of coaches um, before him, and we were just absolutely horrible. You know, uh, Fred Hoiberg, Jim Boylan, they, they wasn't it. So I, I, I think so because he has done a lot of good, getting everything to gel to make us back at that high-level team he was uh, like last year, beginning of the season. It's, it's there. We just have to figure out, like, the missing piece. You know, we got defensive players there in the offseason to help us down low. Get it together. We're talking about that missing piece, Christy. Lonzo Ball hasn't played yet this season. 
They say he's currently rehabbing in Chicago and could return to the floor at some point this season. So, you got any updates? What's going on with Lonzo? I've been wondering where the hell Lonzo has been. Lonzo, bye. You That's how I feel. Not on Lonzo Ball? I didn't want Lonzo Ball. I'm going to be I, – I, I wasn't a fan of the signing. I didn't see much value. But he helped, I guess, space the floor or whatnot. But he's been injured since last year, and it's just it's, – there's no timetable on his return. They say some point this season. So, I mean, a lot of Bulls fans will hate to say, but it's time to move on from him. It's very unfortunate he got hurt. I will say that. But I think we should move on from him and try to find somebody else. Two more NBA questions for you, Chrissy, before you move on to some football. What's right. the bull ceiling for you? Is it NBA Finals? Is it Eastern Conference Finals? Playoff berth? What has to happen for you to feel like season was a success for your beloved Chicago Bulls? I would like a ring, but to be more specific, I was I, I would honestly say Eastern Conference Finals. If you have the Eastern Conference Finals, you are definitely you you're, you're right there. If the Bulls can get to the Eastern Conference Finals, win or lose, I feel like we we were we're there. We just need to find the little screws and screw them in to get to the finals. But if we can get there, I will be satisfied with, with the Bulls. Absolutely. It's just going to be tough in the East, Chris, because I know. It's, teams, it's teams right now, I, I would say, that is better right now than the Chicago Bulls. I'm taking Bo the Boston Celtics. I'm taking them. In Absolutely. Boston. The Brooklyn Nets, they did fire Steve Nash today. They might go and they get Mayfield. We know how talented Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant is. The Miami Heat, they had talented bunch down there in South Beach with Jimmy Butler and Bam out of Bayou. They coached by Eric Spolster and Pat Riley mm -hmm. is leading that organization. So those Absolutely, are teams yeah. right now over the Bulls, but I definitely believe the Bulls are a playoff team in the Eastern Conference. Yeah. We can do it. We just beat Miami uh this season. Granted, it was like the first game of the season, but we beat Miami. Real quick, Once who's your best player in the NBA currently? And give me your top five player. Damian Lillard, he's very underrated. I'm a big Dame fan, by the way. I like John Morant. John Morant is very explosive. I love him in Memphis. I'll throw in LeBron, Kyrie, KD, and Curry. No, Giannis. Who's that? What about Giannis? When I start writing my top five players, like in the NBA, it'd be hard. There's so many great players. It's like, where yeah. do you start? I love Dame. I love Kyrie. But right now, the best point, and I love John Morant too, but the best point guard in the NBA right now is Steph. He is. But you can't talk about Curry and not Dame. And I think people be trying to forget about Dame. Because Dane plays in the Pacific Northwest, and yeah. all of the games start at 1030. So people don't get a chance to watch Dane. That's true. You can see his highlights. For sure. He's going to drive 50, you're going to hear about it. <laughs> and, and guess what? I know you're going to agree with this. I believe Steph Curry has a better career than Damian Lillard. But Damian Lillard is a better clutch player than Steph Curry. Absolutely. Absolutely. In the, in the closing moments of games, Dame Get with the ball to Dame. He he will easy. Yeah. From way behind. He's a true definition of a closer. So yeah, I I, I like your I yeah. like your, your top. You I said five, you gave me like seven, but that's okay. <laughs> it's, it's okay. It's okay. Let's okay. transition to your Chicago Bears. They Ooh, three and five on the season, and they are third in the NFC North standings. They fresh off a of 49 to 29. Beat down to the Dallas Cowboys. I had to mention it. You know I'm a diehard Packers fan, and I had zero sympathy for your Bears Sunday as they as they got beat down. You know I ain't had no sympathy for y'all, <laughs> but um they did make some trades. 
They traded for Chase Claypool. It looked like they were selling at the <laughs> trading deadline. They traded Robert Quinn to the Eagles. Yeah. They traded yeah. Rickwell Smith to the Ravens. But yeah. um, how do you, how are you feeling about your Bears right now? I can say this. I'm happy that we're actually making moves to become better in the future. I'm honestly happy that we are um, because the Bears, as you know, the Bears will have the most money. I'm happy, you know, for the wide receivers uh, that are free agents in the offseason. It's not like a lot or any good selections. So I feel like uh, Chase Playful, that's a good move. You know, Fields is going to actually have somebody to throw the ball to because Darnell Mooney is not it. Bellis Jones Jr. isn't doing much. Cole Komet is not doing much. Our receivers isn't doing anything for real. And that's a part of the reason why Justin Fields is having an extremely hard time on, on offense because I'm sure you know Justin Fields week after week, play after play, is continuously taking gruesome hits because the offensive line can't protect him or there's nobody open to him throw the ball to him. Our receivers can't get open. So with the moves we made on offense, I'm happy. Then defense, it makes sense because Brooklyn Smith wrote his farewell letter in August saying that, you know, I don't feel appreciated with Chicago. I feel undervalued. They couldn't work out a deal, the right numbers. So that makes sense that he's gone. And then Robert Quinn, he's old. He didn't really do much on defense for real. So... We're making moves, so I expect the Bears to be a whole lot better come next season than this season because that Dallas loss had me beyond hot. Like, I get win rebuild, but missing with that because there's no way in hell we should have got 50 bombed by Dallas. Granted, Dallas is a good team. They got the number one defense in the, in the league, like period. A really good team, but there's no way we should have lost like that. Ryan Poles, I feel like he's trying to capitalize and make the team that much better going into next year. So I'm I'm happy, really looking forward to this offseason to see what we're actually going to do with all that money. Because now we build the defense. Because yeah. our defense, who do we really have for it? We got Eddie Jackson, Jaquan Brisker, linebackers. Who do we really have? I want to talk about Justin Fields real quick, your franchise quarterback, Christy. For his career, he got 14 touchdowns, 16 interceptions, over 3,000 passing yards. He's completed 59% of his passes. How do you feel about Fields as the starting quarterback? And do you believe that he's going to be better with the acquisition of Chase Claypool? I believe in Fields 100%, 1,000%. He's our quarterback. We finally have a quarterback. We finally have one. After dealing with Rex Grohan, Andy Dalton, Jay Cutler, we finally have our man. Chase, I, I would have to see because I've heard from some Steelers fans that, you know, he doesn't really catch the ball that well. But, you know, in Pittsburgh, who's their quarterback for real? So I feel like that played a part in his, you know, how he's been playing with Pittsburgh. So with us having fields and, you know, fields have an arm plus legs, I feel like on paper it should work. Yeah. But I will actually have to see how well they'll play together in the next couple of weeks. But I believe in Fields. You know, he he's the guy. So build around him. You know he can run with his legs. You know he has a strong arm to throw with. Give him people to throw to. Because we can't really see his full potential because look, look at what we got. We have the ball for three and a half, four seconds. The line can't protect him. You know, they somewhat did a decent job against Dallas, but still. He's not playing at his full potential because the whole season has been challenging, to say the least. Yeah, I agree. I like Justin Fields, too. Like, a lot of people be talking mm. about Justin Fields. They say he can't throw from the pocket. I love his athleticism. 
I love his toughness. I love him as a leader. I think Justin Fields is a quarterback the Bears can build around. And I'm going to be honest. Yes. I have witnessed your beloved Bears get it wrong <laughs> at quarterback for so many years that mm -hmm. you get a quarterback like Justin Fields who you can rely on. You better hold on to Justin Fields. Don't give up on Justin Fields just yet. See Absolutely. Weapons around Fields and build your team around that offense with Fields at quarterback. And they got David Montgomery. I like Montgomery too. And I don't know if you know, he's actually a Cincinnati native. I'm from Cincinnati. So he's a Cincinnati native. I like David Montgomery in the backfield. You like Montgomery? Absolutely. He's a beast. He's between him and Khalil Herbert. Yes, I love him. But I was afraid he might have got traded. <laughs> but thank God he's still here. I love Monty. Yes, I do. Now, Bears hired Matt Eberflus in the offseason after firing Matt Nagy last year. He was the former defensive coordinator in Indianapolis and was a linebackers coach with the Cowboys and Browns. How did you feel about the hire, and do you believe Eberflus can develop fields into a franchise quarterback? When I first heard the news that we got Matt Eberflus, I was just like, huh? I didn't want him. <laughs> the coach for the Dolphins. I wanted him so bad. Yes. I wanted him so bad. He was with Miami, and I liked how he turned that team around. If we come to Chicago and turn us around, how good can we be? But that didn't happen, obviously. So far, I mean, I don't really have anything bad to say. You know, it's still his first year. Who I don't like, who y'all used to have, is Getsy. His play calling. I'm seeing a little bit of nagging in you. You know what I'm saying? What are you doing? Why are you calling this and that? But... The past couple games, he they had plays uh, designated for fields, so that pretty much showed keep it up. Because at first, it's like y'all not even trying. Like y'all just three four plays are just hoping it work. What are y'all doing, coach? Open the book, do some trick plays, something. We're we're showing progression slowly but surely. So yeah, I don't really have anything bad to say about Eberflus for real. You know, like I said, it's his first year. So defense has been good outside of this past Sunday. Are the Bears a playoff team in the NFC? Nope. If we would have won against Dallas, I would have said yes. But no, and then we just, our defense is, is in shambles. Our defense didn't do shit. <laughs> Nothing against Dallas. We didn't do anything. And and our and defense was our strong point throughout this whole season thus far. So it was like, wow, what the heck? Robert can't gen impact us that much. So playoff team, if you want to beat Dallas, then I would have said yeah. But I think this is this is just the L. <laughs> it's a L. But the NFC is not that good this year. So mm, no, nah, but you know anything could happen. Agreed. If you was that frustrated after that, after that loss to the Cowboys, Christy, I can only imagine how frustrating it has been to witness Aaron Rodgers and my Packers, you know, beat your Chicago <laughs> Bears throughout his throughout his entire career. I, Aaron, you remember last year? Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I know. I, I got to remind you. Remember last year when the Packers played the Bears at Soldier Field? Aaron Rodgers scored a touchdown. He goes, oh my God! Please, like, please, though. I know you hate Aaron Rodgers. I think we'll beat y'all this year. Well, you gonna be this year? Yes, y'all ain't been that good this year. We have it. Y'all have it. So with that, I feel like we can beat y'all. Come what December? Yeah, December fourth. Y'all ain't yeah. that good this year, Rodgers. Yeah. <laughs> so. if, if there was a year for the Bears to beat Aaron Rodgers, it would be this year. 
Okay. <laughs> we should have beat y'all. We should have beat y'all what, week two in Lambo, but it is what it is. I was there. Oh, was you? Y'all ran through us. For that game, yeah. Y'all ran through us so bad. <laughs> yeah, it really. <laughs> It was a great performance <laughs> for the Packers that night. We ain't been good since. But, uh, Christy, before you get out of here, can you let everybody know where they can follow you and find you on social media? Yes. You guys can follow me on Twitter at I am Christy Love. That's Christy with a Y. You can follow me on Instagram at Christy Love Media, the number two. And you can follow uh, my sports page at Christy Love Sports. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> okay. She's a writer and sports podcast host on the Nuts and Bolts Sports Show. Yes. Christy, yes. Christy, I appreciate you joining the show tonight. I'm definitely going to bring you on later on in the season. Okay, no problem. Thanks for having me. It was fun. That's Christy Love. She is on the Nuts and Bolts Sports Podcast. Go and check her out. She she writes articles yeah. for the Nuts and Bolts Podcast. I do. Oh, I do want to say this. You guys can um find my, my articles on nutsandboltsports.com. Just search in Chicago Bears or any of your favorite sports teams. We got writers about the Bears, the Packers, Steelers, Buffalo, whoever you can think of is there. So check us out. Appreciate it, Christy. I'm going to definitely bring you on again. You enjoy your night. All right, you too. Thank you. She loves her Chicago Bears. But Aaron Rodgers and the Packers have owned the Bears. And I actually like Justin Fields, though. I think I like them bringing in Chase Claypool for Justin Fields. That's a big-time move for the Bears. There were reports that the Packers were expecting to trade for Chase Claypool, and they were willing to give up a second-round pick, like the Bears were willing to give up a second-round pick. But the Steelers chose the Bears because they don't expect the Steelers – I'm sorry, they don't expect the Bears to have uh, a high draft pick. They expect – well, they didn't – yeah, they expect the Bears to have a high draft pick. They, don't, they expect the Bears to, to tank for the rest of the season. So that's interesting. I thought that was interesting that Packers were trying to get Chase Claypool. I don't believe it. But let's transition to my breakout performer for NFL Week 8 and my disappointing performer for NFL Week 8. My disappointing performer for NFL Week 8. We got to go to Las Vegas. Derek Carr, this was his numbers against the New Orleans Saints. Carr went 15 of 26. He only threw for 101 passing yards, no touchdowns, one interception. This man has Devontae Adams, Hunter Renfro, Josh Jacobs, and he barely had over 100 yards passing. So Derek Carr is my disappointing performer of NFL Week 8 and my breakout performer for NFL Week 8 is none other than my man Christian McCaffrey out there in San Francisco. Christian McCaffrey was the best player on the field Sunday afternoon in Los Angeles. He became the first player since 2005 to run, pass, and throw for a touchdown in the same game. Christian McCaffrey had 18 carries for 94 rushing yards, one touchdown. He didn't stop there, though. He had eight receptions, 55 receiving yards, one touchdown for the 49ers. He helped the 49ers beat the L.A. Rams 31-14, to and the 49ers sweep the Rams for a second consecutive season. So Christian McCaffrey is my breakout performer for NFL Week 8, and my disappointing performer is Derek Carr. Give a live update real quick on the Ward Series before I get out of here. The Phillies lead the Astros 7-0. to So the Phillies have 
ran away with this game. I know that Philadelphia Phillies crowd is going crazy out there in Philadelphia. They're heading to the sixth inning time for the Houston Astros to get to work. Otherwise, they're going to be facing a two-to-one deficit in the World Series. I want to thank Christy Love for joining Wise Guys tonight on the show. Everybody remember going follow Wise Guys on Twitter at Wise Guys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys Know Sports. I'll be back on Thursday. Have a great night. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.